0: The health and well-being of the inner man is the great concern of God and the distinctive teaching of Jesus. As I was in the Holy Land these last couple of weeks, I thought about how focused on the physical the Jewish nation is and the Old Covenant is. How focused on the land of promise, the milk and honey, the physical descendants of Abraham. And how focused on the heart Jesus was. How important it was for him that we had hearts that were clean. And it was Jesus who taught us that it is out of the heart come all these things, good and bad, that bless us or trouble us. And we have a soul that is well because we can look back to what Christ has done for us And we can look forward with great hope and anticipation to all he is going to do. He's a wonderful God to us. Now, I have been talking about Abraham, who stands tall and is the father of the faithful. And this morning, I turn to his son, Isaac, whose birth I will read about in just a moment. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Jesus said many will come from the east and the west and take their place with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And so we have been sitting down with Abraham for lo these three months. And I have enjoyed working through the text of Abraham's life from chapter 12 to 20. But I wanted to turn to Isaac, even though Abraham and Isaac's lives are intertwined in these chapters, because Isaac is a different man, and he lived in the shadow of his father. His father was the man who bolted out of Ur the Chaldees and established the nation, the people. Great faith, great courage, a military leader. Isaac is a different kind of man. If Abraham is the father of the faithful, Isaac is the father of the peaceful. Isaac valued peace above many things, and we shall see that in his life over the next three months as we look at sitting down with Isaac. So if you, like Isaac, are more geared toward the sedentary, the peaceful, if you're not the one that bolts but the one that waits, you may identify with this man who is named among the three great patriarchs of the Jewish nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Scripture says in chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 1, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. All the promises of God wrapped up in this baby boy brought into the world on the mountains. In the hill country of Israel, to an old couple. The text is interesting here. The, I, the NIV says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. The Old Bible says, The Lord visited Sarah. They're both right, of course. The heart of the verb is to come by, to pass by. The Lord made a visit. Sarah, this visit will change your life. God made a promise. He didn't have to. Nothing compelled God to make this promise. God made the promise at his own initiative. Out of the goodness and love of his heart, he made this promise to Abraham and to Sarah. He visited her, and it was a visit of grace. God didn't have to. And the word has in it the idea of assignment that when you pass by, you're passing by for a purpose. God has an assignment for Sarah and Abraham as well. It is not simply a visit. It is a visit with a purpose. I said, this visit will change your life, Sarah, because not only in this moment, but for all the moments to come and all the days of your life, this visit changes who you are and what you're doing on the planet. if God should make such a visit to you, your life would also be changed forever. God visited Mary, said hello, gave her the promise. Her life was changed forever. God visited Gabriel in the threshing floor Don't be afraid, mighty warrior, and that visit changed his life forever. Somebody said to me this past week, well, what about you? What are the great spiritual experiences of your life? And I told him about two visits I've had from God that I look back upon in my spiritual history, and they are visits that changed my life. The first happened when I was a boy. At night, in the bed, I felt God speaking to me and tugging at my heart. I was only a boy, but I knew God had spoke to Samuel as a boy. In fact, we've referenced Samuel this morning In our singing, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. That's what Eli told Samuel to say, that little boy, the next time he heard his name called in the dark, in the night, Samuel, Samuel. And when I was a boy, I heard and felt God speaking to me. I went and got my dad and said, Dad, I want... Christ in my heart and my father and I knelt down in our living room in a two story parsonage in Holly Minnesota I remember to this day and I asked Jesus into my heart now you may think well children don't know what they're doing they don't know enough but I tell you That changed my life. I was saved as a boy. Jesus came into my heart, and life's never been the same since. I felt a personal relationship with Christ began that day, and he has walked with me through all this half-century since. But God wasn't through with me when I was a boy. I went off to Baylor Today, I've been humbled to share the Lord's Supper with the chairman of the deacons who's from A&M, all right? Now, the A&M girls beat the Baylor girls to the final four. So I had to have forgiveness in my heart, all right? But I was in the dorm at Baylor when God made a second visit to me. And it was in a time of spiritual turmoil for me. I'd entered Baylor as a journalism major. I wanted to write. That's what I wanted to do. And I'd been writing already as a teenager and sending off manuscripts. In fact, I'd been published already at age 18. And that's what I wanted to do. But I had Old Testament survey and historical geology at the same time that semester. And it was turning my world upside down. And in the middle of that semester at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was praying and I was actually weeping before the Lord and wondering, God, what is going on in me? And you know what God did with his second visitation? He took me from standing upon the precepts I had inherited into the spiritual and intellectual foundation of Jesus Christ himself. I made a switch in my mind. Something came rumbling out of my soul that that night that said Jesus is the foundation. He's the solid rock. He's the cornerstone. And I became more than ever before a Jesus person that night. And do you know I've gone through all this experience and education of these last years, some 40 years, and Jesus Christ is the sure foundation that never shifts under your feet. The only reason I'm up here is because God made a visit 40 years ago and called me to preach his word when I was a student at Baylor. I know how visits from God change your life, and I know they're supposed to. Once you hear from God, it's supposed to be different. If the creator of this universe knocks on your door, It's because he is calling you to himself and calling you to join him in this work on this planet and calling you to the purpose which maybe has eluded you up to that moment. So you just keep praying, Lord, I want to visit. Because this book says clearly, God speaks. All right? God speaks to people. People like you and me. Over and over again, God speaks to people. In fact, God spoke to Sarah. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And the word promised is another word for spoken. He did for Sarah what he had spoken. And if you look it up, you'll discover that the word for promise is the word to speak. God is as good as his word. His word is his bond. He makes promises and he keeps them. This visit. Will change your life. And this promise will come to pass. God did for Sarah what he had said. There is a core teaching of Scripture. Some people have said it is the central doctrine of the Old Covenant, it is the idea of promise. God makes a promise. Some live in despair because they do not know or embrace the promise of God. They live in fear because they're facing an uncertain future without having held on to God's promise. The promise changes your life in the here and now, even before its fulfillment. To hear the word of God spoken to you, his word is as sure now as it is at the time of fulfillment. That's what faith is. Faith is taking God at his word. It is standing in his word. It is hearing the promise and saying, yes, Lord, I believe the promise. Abraham believed. Believe what? That God was going to keep his word. That God was his friend and would keep his word. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God wants you to embrace his word to stand in His promise. And the moment you begin to walk in the promise and stand in the promise and believe what He promised, life changes. The future changes. The promise fills life with hope. Hope that is beyond the here and now, beyond individual circumstances. It is a hope that is anchored in God. When you get hopeless, you can be assured you're wandering away from God who is your anchor. He did for Sarah what he promised. He is the creator God, the Lord of glory, God almighty. He is Elohim, El Shaddai, Jehovah. He is the faithful God you can count on at all circumstances and times in your life, including the current one. And you do not see the answer or know the solution, but you have the promise of God and you stand in him. You stay anchored to him. You have his word. That is enough. Sarah had his word. He brought it to pass. This is the key event in that old covenant, the birth of Isaac our Jewish guide who was a Zionist through and through, Zionist Jew, he said to us, and I don't know that I agree with this, but he said, all religions are based on the supernatural. And then he gave an example, the birth of Isaac. He said, the Jewish religion is based on a, on a miracle, on the supernatural. Sarah had a son and God did indeed wait until the time when no human could possibly take credit for the birth of isaac when it was beyond human cap- capability or expectation then he gave isaac to let everyone know that this was him at work in the world god keeps his promises he calls them covenants old and new old Testament, New Testament, your Bible is broken into two great promises from God, covenants into which he invites you to enter, trust me, I make a promise to you, you make your promise to me, we enter into a covenant, a testament, the old covenant was based upon these promises Joshua said, not one of all the Lord's great promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. The psalmist said, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. Another psalm, they have believed his promises and sang his praise. And again, the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. How do you like that Old Testament verse? You think about the Old Testament in terms of war, destruction, and the anger of God. And here is a psalmist writing saying, He is loving toward all he has made. Even the old covenant, they knew that God was love in a special, important, dramatic way. He is loving toward all he has made. Where'd they get that? They get that from his promises made to Abraham and Sarah. Listen to this promise now. This is a promise from the New Testament, a reference to the promise. And in the New Testament... The word is epangelion, that is translated promise. You know the word euangelion as evangelism. Euangelion means the good news. And we talk about the good news. Well, the good news is based on the epangelion, which is the promise. The message prior to the good news, the message embedded in the good news. God makes his promise. Listen to Romans. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. Somehow, in Jesus himself, the promise made to Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise made to the patriarchs finds its fulfillment. In Jesus. In fact, according to the scripture, all those Old Testament prophecies are brought into the reality which is Christ. They're summed up in the promised one who was to come, the anointed one whom we call the Messiah, Jesus the Lord. This is God's great promise come to final fruition in his own son, Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, but the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs. That's the old patriarchs, the old covenant. The ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one and it is founded on better promises. You say, well... How are these promises better? They are better in that it is no longer a hunk of geography, but it is heaven itself, which is the land of promise. It is the kingdom of God. The guide said, Jerusalem is the center of the world. He even had a map. It showed all of the continents going around Jerusalem as the center of the world. And I said, you're right, but it's the new Jerusalem. John didn't say, I saw Jerusalem. He didn't say, I stood in the valley of Megiddo and looked over the battle of Armageddon. He He said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband. And that's when God said the tabernacle of God is with men and he shall dwell with them. No more tears, no more sorry, no more crying. The former things are passed away. These are the better promises Jesus brought us. They are the promises of heaven. A table with your place at the feast. A mansion. With your room, I go to prepare a place for you. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm going to the Father's house. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You be careful that you do not revert in your Understanding of promise to the old covenant. Somebody said, well, I believe I'm going to inherit the earth. All right. Had somebody tell my dad that. Said, well, I believe we're going to inherit the earth. You know what dad said? I remember this as a boy. A few things I remember as a boy, all right. He said... I believe we're going to inherit the earth. And dad said, well, you can have it. You can have it. Peter records the end of the earth. The fire's coming and all the elements melt with a fervent heat and it burns up. You can read it in your Bible. That's the end of the earth. You really want to inherit this old rock? There are better promises for you. They are in Jesus who came as God's promised one. The blessing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that all nations will be blessed for you is fulfilled in Jesus, God's one and only son. And the promise of God has gone around the earth through his son Jesus who came with a better covenant based on better promises now, last week, I preached on burning sulfur rain. And that was a tough judgment from God on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember? Burning sulfur rain. That was chapter 19. Chapter 20 is that visit with Abimelech, but such a shameful chapter in the life of Abraham. Chapter 21, where I am today, follows on the heels of the burning sulfur rain. Laughter follows burning sulfur rain. When the devil has done all he can do to you, when he has kicked you around on the planet, when the fire has fallen and the flood has come, when everything is gone but your faith in God, I want you to know, laughter follows burning sulfur rain. There isn't a thing that they can do to you that takes the hope out of your heart or the joy out of your soul. There's nothing that can happen on this planet that cuts you off from the promise Jesus made to you as he died upon the cross and conveyed to you eternal life through his own sacrifice. There's nothing that can cut you off from that. You are sealed. By the Holy Spirit, you are kept to the day of his return. You are his and he is yours. And nothing shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So, amen. (laughs) Burning sulfur rain is followed by laughter. You say, what does that mean? That means like the woman in Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. You smile at the days to come. There's a laughter in your soul that cannot stop. And people who see you might think, what's wrong with you? How can you have a smile on your face when all this happened? And the response is, laughter follows burning sulfur rain for anybody who holds to the promise of God. Now, there are some of you who are stuck in the, in the developmental stage spiritually where you have experienced the burning sulfur rain and you can't get out of it. You're still standing on the mountain looking at the smoke. And some of you think the burning sulfur rain is the ultimate revelation of what life is about. You get in a cemetery, you look around at the tombs and you say, this is it. You don't want to go to the hospital or nursing home because even visiting there makes you feel terrible and depressed because you think, this is it. This is where I'm headed. This is where my life ends up. You're stuck in the burning sulfur rain and you haven't gone on to the great promise of God that makes laughter bubble up in your soul. You got to take the step, brother. Say, how do you do that? How do you move from this bleak, grim view of life on the planet to a, to a view that is full of hope and joy? You believe the promise. You receive the promise. You take it in for yourself. You hold Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You secure for yourself a place in his family, through his gracious invitation, you respond to what he has done. The great question for all of us who live on the planet is this. What are you going to do with Jesus who is called the Anointed One? I hope somebody here takes a step into faith today. And as you do, experience the encounter with God, the visit that changes your life, that fills you with hope, that ends of despair and helps you walk in the promise. God's done all he can do. He has given his son. It is enough. We have celebrated this morning what He did for you on the cross. You need to trust Him. He loves you this much. He made you. He came to rescue you through His Son, Jesus. Take the step of faith. Believe the promise. Believe the Word. Receive the Christ of Calvary and secure your eternal future. Let's bow together. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, if you've never had that moment when you personally received Him, gave your life to Him, why not do that right now? Just acknowledge you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Speak it to God from your heart. Lord, I need you. Open your heart to Him. Come into my life, Christ. I want you in me. The Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. God, do your work in us today. I pray for that brother or sister who came here today, just needed to hear from you, Lord, that this will be the moment of their hearing. God, help us to hold to the promise, to walk in faith as Abraham did. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.